Hi, everyone. It's uh, David Baker back again with the CISO podcast, continuing on the journey of the Baker's Dozen. Uh, today with me, I have Christian Toon. He is the um, head of security, chief security officer, Vincent Mason's um, customer of Bug Crowd. But uh, as with traditional this, with this uh, podcast, we're going to just focus on the security environment that Christian has built uh, and not talk about bug bounties in any way, shape or form. Uh, Christian, give us a uh, 30 second intro to yourself and your hobbies. We'll start with there. Oh dear, trying to squeeze them into 30 seconds, right? So uh, I'm the chief information security officer for a international law firm called Pinter Masons. We've got about three and a half thousand people across 26 offices. five different time zones across the globe, stretching from Beijing in China down to South Africa to base operations and probably lion's share of us here in the UK. Um, I've been in post now for uh, just over two years, uh, joined from a big four consulting cybersecurity practice charged with changing the face of uh, legal technical security uh, across the globe. In the UK here, the legal sector has got a bit of a bad reputation as being the weak underbelly of uh, British PLC and uh, I'm kind of here to change the world. So spent the last kind of two years building a security team and and changing the direction for uh, us as a law firm and and trying to help the the industry itself change its tact from how it traditionally used to manage uh, security to a kind of new world order. Interesting. Um, so, uh, I will give a little bit of a heads up to the audience. Um, Christian and I did a small sort of, uh, panel, um, sort of light version of this, uh, podcast when we were at InfoSec EU and, um, and the reason why I really wanted to get the content again on the podcast is because it is so different and so interesting to, um, and a good contrast to the other CISOs that we've had on this podcast. Um, and really the, the first question I wanted to ask you, um, and I will say that I know that your hobbies are long walks on the beach, so I'll just fill that in. Um, so Christian, I, one of the things that came up when we were talking earlier is, um, and this is a question that I've been asking all the CISOs on the podcast is like, how are you addressing, um, the shortage in, um, in, in just staffing? I know that, if you go globally, there's, there's millions of, of shortages and people able to work in InfoSec security. You know, we're trying to address it with uh, crowdsourcing, but it's all over the board. It's in compliance, it's in defense, it's in, you know, you name it. Um, and I know you had a really interesting uh, take on what you're doing because you're actually hiring like gangbusters. And so I wanted, like, how are you, how are you hiring like gangbusters? So it, it's been really funny. You know, people talk about a, a skill shortage in, in cyber, and yeah, you're right. The kind of that, that shortage is across the domains from kind of risk GRC stuff to kind of technical skills. Um, and of course, it's going to be because this is kind of a, an issue that everyone needs to face. And all of a sudden, they realise they're um, uh, currently kind of out of their depth and, and don't know what to do. So yeah, massive explosion in vacancies, which for kind of you or I or anyone else in the security field is is great for business. We've pretty much got a job for life now as long as we don't mess it up. Um, But kind of we've been trying to hire into those roles using traditional methods, traditional mechanisms. And 
we kind of forget, I think, what's important to people. And it's, it's very much a buyer's market, right? So you can be a lot more free to choose who you're going to work for. Um, and yeah, it's going to take some budget and some kind of strategic support from your organization to kind of make that happen. But actually, there's so much more that people can do and change the way they hire, um, change the way what they offer that really is going to make a difference. I mean, one of the central things that's really been kind of at the heart of what we do is, is our cause. So forget your salary, forget your benefits, forget where you're working. Actually, look, what are we trying to do here? Um, and, and really bring people behind a, a cause that they can feel passionate about, that they feel they're going to make a difference with. Um, the amount of roles or businesses I've worked in previously where actually cybersecurity is just a form of risk management. Put your issues on the register, we'll review it next month, we won't give you the money, but we'll manage the risk. Um, and that can really beat it out of you after a while and suddenly you become disattached to actually the good stuff that we are trying to do. So having a cause has been really important and I'm very fortunate that my my board, my business that I work for are very much committed and supported in doing the right thing. Kind of our, our purpose here is to protect our people and protect our clients and, and that's something people have been able to get behind. Um, we've seen kind of a tangible benefit with that and kind of certainly a, a measure as well where some of the, uh, the consultants and contractors we took on board in the early days kind of to get the strategy moving um, have actually left their, their contracting world behind and have joined us on the payroll because they believe so um, valiantly in what we're trying to achieve here that they've kind of never seen that and experienced that anywhere else. Um, so we've then also looked to kind of tear up the kind of traditional approach to recruitment and some of our perhaps core practices. Now, I normally joke that kind of working in the big four, I got forced to dress like an accountant and making the transition to a law firm, dressing like a lawyer, the wardrobe made it a little easier on the pocket. But actually, people kind of don't want that. Um, people want a comfortable kind of working space. They, they want to come to work and feel um, that they can make a difference, buy into something, but they want to do that in a comfortable set of clothes. Um, so going against the kind of more traditional norms of um, kind of law firm dress code, as, as silly as that might sound, to kind of relax the codes to say, well, hey, um, you're, you're working in our, our tech security team or GRC function um, or staff engagement. And you know what? As long as you're kind of presentable, as long as you're dressed for a professional environment, I don't need to see you in a three-piece suit and a tie and then the best kind of Oxfords or brogues um, going. Actually, just feel comfortable. The second thing I think has been that kind of the concept of work as a physical location that has to be mandated, it is very, very dated, um, that you kind of need an internet connection and a keyboard these days to kind of to get anything done. So actually don't try and force people into a nine till five physical space. We need to see you to believe you're doing the right job. Um, fortunately, at the time, our, our business it took a, a, or was taking a slightly different approach to remote working or employee agility. So the idea being, yes, you may have a contract that says 9.30 till 5.30, but actually you don't want to be applying that to those people that you want on your team. Um, some of my best work may be done at 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, and, and likewise, everyone else doesn't necessarily share that kind of corporate pattern. But also, people will have lives outside of work, whether it be families, and children, health commitments, personal commitments, hobbies and interests, etc. And as long as you can start managing by objectives, 
shouldn't really matter what time um, of day that employee is logged on and delivering. Yeah, there may be some kind of restrictions around kind of liaising with other departments, etc. But actually, um, you shouldn't be too rigid on, on kind of the time that's being spent. If you're paying for 40 hours, do you really worry that those 40 hours are between 9.30 and 5.30? Um, or actually, are you kind of paying for deliverables for a particular piece of work? So there've been probably two uh, sort of tips, I guess, as to kind of where we've made a difference. And um, we've seen it, we've brought gone from a team of one to a, a team of 15 um, in about 12, 13 months. So we've seen a massive kind of step change in that. Um, third item, which is probably only gonna be um, something that you're gonna get if you've got the budgetary support um, of your board, and that's around training. So if you've got a purpose and something you people want to get behind, um, you've relaxed the dress code, you've relaxed uh, the working conditions that they can deliver wherever um, as long as they're delivering for you. Uh, the next thing we found is, is really powerful is training. Now, not just kind of throwing budget so people can get alphabets after their name and get every security qualification under the sun. But actually, security professionals, they don't want to stand still. They want to grow. They want to evolve and develop. Um, and I've got one of the biggest training budgets going that wasn't through um, any accident at all, but recognizing that when people join us, we want to continue their growth and personal development, whether that be in technology products, in capability, um, or actually giving them the experiences so they can grow and learn. And having quite an open minded approach to the fact that this this training is we're not training people to walk out the door onto the next uh, big job offer that comes along but actually really investing in them and their career that hopefully that we can offer them the progression through the cybersecurity steps uh, career steps for them um, and, and even the feedback from the teams that's been massively um, supportive because as kind of recessions hit belts get tightened kind of one of the first budgets to go is training because it's seen as a discretionary spend but actually it's very much front and center of our, our security program and it also helps us from a, a contingency point of view that we have the right people with the right skills and expertise um, dotted around the world um, i think that probably sums up probably some of the activity that we've brought on board uh, or kind of helped us, us build that team um, and the only th final thing I, I guess I'd kind of I'd end with is I have a talk that kind of aligns my learning from comic books to building security teams, um, and the fact that um, the Avengers did it very well in the Marvel universe is that kind of if if your security team looks like you and kind of the you're kind of doing it wrong, you need the diversity of thought, the diversity of exposure on your security teams. So with that and attracting that sort of talent, you need to ensure that your recruitment practices are diverse and inclusive enough to target those groups, whether they be people who are looking to retrain into cyber and they perhaps don't have a, a career um, or experience to justify moving into a, um, or an entry level role or even more established role, or actually targeting uh, particular demographics um, that maybe don't exist on LinkedIn so the traditional recruitment piece goes straight out the window because how do you engage in a community or engage with a, a demographic of workforce that actually doesn't sit on the traditional um, kind of target lists of, of recruiters, say, or, or social media platforms? Um, and it's been quite challenging for us because 
we've traditionally hired lawyers or we've traditionally hired kind of operations teams. Um, and to go from recruiting project managers, general kind of IT folk, um, et cetera, to sort of really focusing on, on who we want in our organization, um, it's been quite difficult. But again, I feel I've been very much blessed with a, an organization that is very big on diversity and inclusion. And we are uh, kind of a couple of years into a number of kind of firm-wide initiatives. So again, that plays a lot to my strengths is we don't just bring in people that kind of look like me. I mean, heaven forbid, I would wish that on anybody. Um, <laughs> but the idea is that we've got a, a good set and a good focus around diversity of thought in the security program um, and continue to do so. So um, getting involved in conferences, community initiatives, um, education uh, institutions to target and find these people has been something that we've had to go through as a business as well, not only for finding the next generation of lawyer, the next generation of tech professional, um, but also as well, there's so many industry um, initiatives now that are focused on either identifying or targeting these crowds um, to, to, to kind of bring them to to enterprise, bring them into the uh, kind of employment market. There's lots of choices for that. And there's almost no excuse uh, now because it, it is a lot easier to get hold of those sorts of people. You know, there is, there's a couple of points. Um, I know that if you, if you translate what you've built to say like the Valley where there is no such thing as a dress code, like it's, it's really more about can you wear shoes to work um, is, is the dress code. Um, people work remotely, but I think what you've also done here is you've, you've built this culture within a culture, right? And people want to work for your culture. I think that's extremely valuable to be able to, um, market and be able to, um, find people and attract people that, Hey, you're not going to come work for a stodgy law firm. You're going to come work for, you know, a cutting edge, uh, security firm that just happens to do like legal stuff on the side. Um, and that's, I think, I think that's, that's powerful um, and a very good testament to what you've been doing in the community. Oh, mass massively. And, and I get, I'm so fortunate to be in that position. I kind of, one of my phrases I've coined is that I'm a unicorn CISO. So I probably spent the last 10, 12 years in financial services, insurance, big four cybersecurity. Um, I recognize that this sort of stuff doesn't happen every day. Um, and the position I'm in is very fortunate, but I'd like to hope in kind of sharing our story, sharing our kind of our special source that other people can adopt this approach and have the same successes. So I've become less of a unicorn CISO and actually this is just a market norm. Um, and, and that is just going to help breed some healthy competition because as I said, the kind of, the way the skill shortage is or kind of at the moment, it, it's very much a, a buyer's market. So people have that freedom of choice and, and they're going to go to places that, that have kind of all these ticks that it's a fun place to be. They're not kind of making me wear ties all the time or expecting me to be at the office nine o'clock on the Monday morning. Um, and that is really where the differentiation comes. It's okay. Salary makes plays a big part. Right. And of course, it's a lot nicer to send your, your children to school in shoes than kind of like uh, palm leaves and banana leaves or whatever. Um, put clothes on their back, put a nice, nice quality of living uh, and all of that great stuff. But actually, there's a lot more you can add, a lot more value that can be brought from an employment point of view. Right. And, it, you know, I will point out to, to everyone listening to the podcast that um, 
Christian is very active with B-sides all over the UK and, and pretty much internationally. Um, well, if, if only that was the case, David. Um, I volunteered <laughs> this year, so you saw me running between conferences. Yeah, but um, you also, really you, also uh, uh, you also by volunteering, you are sponsoring the B sides, and I think that's very important because there are that's where the security community is going to go, right? They're going to go to the oh, B-sides. massively, massively. I mean, it was quite fun. I mean, B sides for me, I attended as a delegate last year, um, and I got blown away. It amazed me in, in London the amount of effort and work and great quality speakers and talks and everything that kind of whole format had. Um, and I got so kind of enthused about it, I wanted to get involved. So um, yes, we, we did some kind of a sort of low level sponsorship for, for the event, but actually I volunteered some of my time. And um, for me, that part of my kind of personal growth and personal goals for this year was to really kind of get on the other side of the community. Um, so being a goon for the London B-sides was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, from stuffing the, the bags with all the flyers that vendors kind of pull together, operating the cameras, um, to just running on kind of general stuff and inquir- uh, inquiries from, from people was, was massively humbling. And it kind of, it also gave me kind of exposure to kind of that other side of our community that it isn't just kind of LinkedIn and corporate, um, that kind of the, the kind of other side, the kind of hacker security research community. Um, that the people that I met was, was just massively, massively beneficial. Right. It's, and that's, and I think that's you like, and this is the thing, cause typically you'll have like security, um, firms like bug crowd. We were involved with B sides and you have other security firms, but then you have, you know, a law firm come up and sponsoring and, and being active. And I think that's, I think that's very powerful. And I think that's part of the culture within the culture that you're building. That is very important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did, did, did have to laugh to myself though, when the kind of sponsorship slide came up and it was like, yep, yeah, recognize all of those tech firms, security businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And then we had a little old law firm there kind of front and center. And I was probably one of a handful of people that may have clocked us as to who we were, but I bet your bottom dollar that the rest of those attendees didn't know anything about us, but it's nice. Small yeah. steps. We'll start with that. We'll do a bit more. We'll do a bit more, and we'll get there. I think that 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 right there is is an important point to do. I mean, like you don't have to be a security firm, but you if you're trying to build a security team, if you're trying to build a sense that hey, we're a company that cares about security, getting involved in the community, um, sponsoring those types of um, regional types of events are, are a good way to. Um, just from a guerrilla marketing, because ultimately that guerrilla marketing is going to feed you candidates, going to feed you sort of um, that culture within a culture that you want to have. So yeah. um, I want to shift some gears. Um, you know, there's a question I always ask about, okay, um, everyone has this, this, this idea that a, a Google Chromebook is highly secure because there's no local um, um, memory of, of storage and so on and so forth or, or very little of it and so everything is kept within the cloud and um, it's more secure than say your your Mac more secure than say your Windows um, and this is a question I always front to people but I think the complexities of your assets are even far beyond that you have I think you said 26 international locations within China within um, Dubai with all over the world how do you put your arms, I mean, like the, the endpoint asset is a whole new reality when you're talking about having um, an office in China, right? 
Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk about the complexities of managing and just securing the assets in, in that type of environment? Yeah, so I guess the two of the big challenges we've got, firstly, culture, and, and then I guess then it is the, the technology. So you kind of talk about China, and I guess where our office is there, culturally, that, that's a big thing for us because we've got a big kind of strategic base in there that's doing a lot of great stuff. Um, and when you assess the risk from a Western perspective, the flags go up as they do with Russia or the Middle East. But actually, if you put yourself in their shoes and assess it from an Eastern perspective, the flags go up to the UK, the US and the kind of other Western countries. So it, it's a real kind of I guess, political edge that we need to be careful of because um, our people sit in both jurisdictions and we need to ensure that we are protecting our people and then protecting our clients. So some of the technology solutions um, we have around network segregation and standardization of, uh, of kit that out that exists out there is probably kind of one of the, the fundamentals for us that we kind of, we're creating these kind of geographies that are safe and secure in their own right, but respect the views and opinions of local teams, local assessments, et cetera. Because um, it's, we're as much as worried about kind of domestic um, attacks here in the UK on the cyber front than we are international ones. And, and that's really important for us because our employee culture is probably one of the, the single strongest things we have here at the firm. And to suddenly start creating divides, drawing up security lines, saying kind of we're worried about your government, your government's worried about our government. Whilst the reality might be there, it's not something we want to foster here. So it's about creating quite a balanced perspective um, based on uh, a series of, say, assessments from our board and then kind of what they're worried about, but actually being mindful in that deployment. Um, because we're one firm, we're one business, it just so happens that some of our teams are based in the Falklands and Australia and Hong Kong, Beijing, etc. Um, the political landscape at the moment is quite challenging for us, certainly for me. Um, I'm probably going to be about 20 minutes into this podcast now and I'm, I will call it out, but Brexit. <laughs> the Europeans and the people here in the UK are as uncertain with the kind of political instability as much as the say global scale between say us and china or iran and the rest of the world so th th there's a lot going on globally that we need to be mindful of but actually kind of dialing it back to what we're kind of interested in and what we're worried about it is our clients and our people and, and kind of making sure we're safeguarding that a mixture of, of technology and cultural deployments and, and those cultural deployments are things around our, our training and awareness, our behavioral change, et cetera, to kind of ensure that our local teams are informed the best they can as to what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, but also being mindful that we're not stopping what they need to be doing. So now, so, so you're, so I guess what I'm, I'm to distill this, it's, it's really more of um, you're attacking the broad people problem um, primarily, right? You're in your, the, the asset, the asset problem is, is really secondary to instilling sort of a broad sort of sense of security, broad sort of sense of, um, rather than doing sort of 
point types of uh, uh, solutions for these locations? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not overly interested at the moment in terms of the kind of hardware assets and the, the, the Mac versus kind of Windows debate or kind of Google Chromebook versus kind of a, um, a Surface Pro or, or whatever the kind of comparison. Um, for me and, and for our firm and our, our direction, it's kind of two part. The technology behind the scenes to ensure clear segregation of duties and activities based on risk, pure and simple. So we do have a number of Microsoft and Apple devices um, in our environment and they do different things for different people. Um, so it's kind of trying to move away from the kind of defined hardware platform or asset platform. Actually, it shouldn't matter. It, it, we want to move to a access anything everywhere kind of um, approach. It's kind of the, the IT strategies to, to very much enforce that. So our challenge or kind of our, our contribution is to kind of secure that approach, whether you're coming in from a, an Apple book, um, Google, Windows, Microsoft, et cetera, um, whatever that mixed environment looks like, we kind of don't mind um, because coming back to my kind of diversity point around the team, um, it kind of also transfers into security preference. Um, people will prefer certain types of operating system over others, certain hardware types over others, whether it be down to the consumerization of IT or their experiences, careers, et cetera, working with certain types. Um, that We want to give people that freedom of choice. Um, now, look, don't get me wrong, we're miles away uh, from this, but it is the direction we're heading. Yeah, but that's a good point. I mean, look, if 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 you're making a uh if you're making security easy and i think you made a good point like like if you prefer working on a windows environment and then let's give you that environment and and give you the ability to um be secure on that environment right because the environment is easy for you right and it's your yeah. you know so that i think that's a very good point there's and i, I think that's within security that's always a a balancing act like yeah you can give everyone chromebooks but then you have like the executive team who have just become locked up because they don't have uh powerpoint they don't have their microsoft excel that they're just you know used to working with so you have to you have to have the ability to provide the assets that people will be productive and then make it easy for them to be productive and secure by you know having the environment, having the endpoint and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's very complicated. And I don't, and I, from your perspective, I don't envy you because the complications, particularly when you're talking about endpoint security and uh, the privacy stuff that's in EU, that's in uh, <laughs> the UK, um, yeah. that's in China, that's in uh, Saudi Arabia and all these different places. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting challenge and I can see why, when you're talking about building this security team that's tackling this broad international problem, it's very, it's a very cool project that people would want to be a part of. Oh, massively. Well, the, so um, I think we have a lot of a lot of great stuff to, and content that we've talked about, and um, I think that Christian, had, I want to thank you for being part of the podcast. I want to. Um, hey, pleasure, is, pleasure. It's been good. And this, the, the things that, the challenges that you're facing, I think that, um, and the way you're handling them, I think are, are, are important to any of the folks that are going to do this. So thank you very much.
Hey, not a problem, not a problem. And if any of the listeners want to reach out directly and get in touch and kind of ask more, then, then they're more than welcome to do so. Yeah. Um, you can, you want to plug your email address for everyone on the podcast? To <laughs> yeah. Hey, spam me. Um, no, maybe not, but if you want, you can get me on Twitter. It's probably the best and easiest one. Um, at Christian two. So come and find me. Yeah, for sure. 